welcome to the weekly podcast of River Valley Church. We're glad you're here. Our heart is to lead people to Jesus and launch them into their God-given purpose. So we pray you would encounter God in a fresh, new way today. To learn more about our church, visit rivervalley.org. Now, let's tune in to this week's message. Well, I just returned from being in Spain and in England doing some generosity accelerators. And while I was over there, uh, just like you, I've been watching the news. And you couldn't turn on the news without seeing something about Israel, Gaza, uh, Jerusalem, all that was going on. And um, you could not avoid it. And any day, I'm, I'm guessing that there'll be a land assault to uh, rescue hostages, eliminate the Hamas terrorists. And uh, we should be praying. And so we should be praying for this. And uh, the world has been talking about proportionality and, uh, and all these different things. And I don't know how you do that when your children and family members are being held hostage. So we're going to need to pray. We're going to have to pray like never before. But people have been asking with all this on the news, people were stopping me and even asking uh, while I was in Spain and in England, what do you think? What do you think? Um, why Israel? Why Jerusalem? Um, what's next? How do we pray? Is this the end? People were asking me this all the time. And one person said, I think Christians are cheering for the end with this. I said, no, we're not cheering for the end with this. We, we understand what the Bible says, but nobody's cheering for the end. And we're just praying, God, give us time to reach more people. Um, and uh, so I am changing the sermon for this weekend. And uh, we're supposed to be doing a family series. And we'll start next week with Ted Cunningham. He's already pre-recorded a sermon for family and parenting. And I'm told that it's wonderful. So we'll start the family series next week instead of this week. But the title of my message today is All Eyes on Jerusalem, the Capital of the Universe. It's really what it's going to be, and we'll get there. Now, um, I wish that I could have uh, experts like Alan Tennyson or uh, Jeremy Stein. I've consulted with them all week long, back and forth texts, and asking them for papers and help and all this. But neither of them were available, so this is as good as you get. Pastor Rob, here we go. All right. So I'm going to pray now, and I'm going to pray at the end, all right? So Lord, I just pray right now. You give me wisdom. You give me insight. Help me to communicate this clearly. Help us to realize you are the hope of the world. And the one thing we're cheering on is that your name could be spread throughout this earth. That's what we're cheering on. And so God, give us wisdom. Um, let those in leadership have great wisdom as they navigate all that's ahead and let your church continue to be salt and light. In Jesus' name we pray, amen and amen. All right, I'm gonna go back to Genesis chapter 11, which is a weird place to go back in this story. But I'm going back to the Tower of Babel and trust me, it's an odd place to go. But before this, in Genesis chapter 11, you know that we have the story of creation. We have the story of Cain and Abel. We have uh, mankind being sinful. We have the story of Noah's ark. We have all of this going on. We have the descendants of Noah. And then we have the Tower of Babel. In the Tower of Babel, the people are saying, we will make a, a, a name for ourselves. We will build this tower and we'll be like God. And in this moment, God brings confusion upon the land. He brings confusion. He gives them all sorts of different languages and then they're acting as one and then all of a sudden God pff, divides them up and then they're divided into different nations and different people groups and people that speak different languages. And it's interesting, you may not realize, but every sin in Genesis chapter 3 through 11 is actually punished by God, but he also has a plan for everything that's going on. He's like, you're doing this, you're doing this, you're doing this, but I have a plan. I have a plan. 
And right after Genesis chapter 11, now I just covered a lot of history there. Right after Genesis chapter 11, we have the calling of Abram, whose name is later changed to Abraham. And in this calling to Abram, and I'll call him Abraham, in the calling of Abraham, God's like, I've got a plan. All these nations are spread. There's this sinfulness that is there. And, and all these nations, now I divided them out. But now, Abraham, I've got a plan. And I'm choosing you and you will be the start of the people of God. And the people of God will, will be uh, an outreach to the nations of the world. And we even see God says, through you, I will bless you. And the nations of the world will be blessed through you. Like God has a plan. And so you see this plan going on here with Abraham. And he says, Abraham, you will have many offspring. Like go outside and look at the stars of the sky. That's how many your descendants will be. And Abraham's like, that's awesome. But I have no kids. I got none. Like, we should start with one. Okay, so he's, God's like, you will, you will. You, this is, this is going to happen. And while he's waiting, Sarah comes up with a plan, his wife Sarah. And she says, I've got a plan. You can sleep with my handmaiden, Hagar, and, and, and she'll have a child, and it'll be like my child, but you'll, we'll, we'll get a baby that way. And so they do that, and they have the child Ishmael. But God says, that's not my plan. That was Sarah's plan. That's not my plan. God says, I have a plan for you, Abraham. Abraham, he says, I have a plan, and it involves a real son that is going to be born to Sarah, not through Hagar. And so God does that, and through the miraculous uh, power that he has, Sarah gives birth to Isaac. And then she has her own son, and there's Hagar's son and, and Sarah's son. And there's tension. If you don't realize that in Genesis chapter 21, there's a tension between these two boys even then. And, and Sarah's like, get him out, get him out. Like, he, he can't be here. He's teasing our, my son. And, and so they separate and they go their ways. And there's this been, been this tension. And one of the boys has a promise with a covenant that involves land. That would be Isaac. And the other one has a promise that involves great blessing, but no land. And that's Ishmael. And in Genesis chapter 17, it says, Abram fell face down. He laughed and said to himself, will a son be born to a man 100 years old? Will Sarah bear a child at the age of 90? And Abraham said to God, if only Ishmael might live under your blessing. Then God said, yes, but your wife Sarah will bear you a son and you will call him Isaac. I will establish my covenant with him as an everlasting covenant for his descendants after him. And as, and as for Ishmael, I've heard you. I will surely bless him. I will make him fruitful and he will greatly increase his number. He will be the father of the 12 rulers and I'll make him into a great nation. But my covenant, I will establish with Isaac, whom Sarah will bear to you this time next year. When he had finished speaking with Abram, God went up from him. So he says, one of your sons goes back to the covenant promise that I have to you to this land that, that I've promised you. This land and the blessing and all that. One of them has that and the other one, is gonna get blessings as well. They'll be, be fruitful, he'll multiply, but there is no claim to the land. And it's interesting to me that Ishmael and Isaac, and you look at the descendants of them, they both have Abraham's blood in them. And that's why we're trying to reach everybody. Like we don't say, well, we don't wanna reach them with the love of Jesus. No, we wanna reach everybody. And we're saying we don't hate anybody. We love everyone and we're brokenhearted with the hatred that the family tree has towards one another. We're saying, God, help us to minister. And it's so sad to see this conflict. 
As we get to the end of Genesis, we see that famine drives the children of Israel, the Israelites, the Jewish people, the Isaac's descendants, and it drives them into Egypt. And they are there for a while, and then they fall into slavery. And then as God delivers them out of slavery, once again, he says, I want you to be my people. You understand, the nations of the world are to be blessed through you. I've got a plan, and I'm working this plan through you. And he has this plan that he reveals and he tells him again, you will be my people. We get the beautiful 10 commandments, Exodus 19 and 20. We get the laws that the Jewish people had to live by. And Israel was always called to be a different people from the other nations of the world for the sake of the nations of the world. God's like, you're different. You're gonna live different, but it's on purpose because I'm working on a plan for the nations of the world. And he's always had a people and then from there, he has a nation, again, a place, a land. And these promises are there in Genesis chapter 12, verse seven. It says, the Lord appeared to Abram and said, to your offspring, I will give this land. So he built an altar there to the Lord who had appeared to him. In Genesis 17, verses seven and eight, it says, I will establish my covenant as an everlasting covenant between me and you and your descendants after you for the generations to come to be your God and the God of your descendants after you. The whole land of Canaan, where you now reside as a foreigner, I will give as an everlasting possession to you and your descendants after you, and I will be your God. Now, so this is promise. This is a promised thing to the Israelites, to the Jewish people. They are promised this land. Again, one child had a blessing, wasn't covenant blessing. The other one got the covenant blessing with land and the blessings of God to be the people of God so the nations of the world would know that there is a God that loves them and that he has a plan and that he was sending the Messiah, the promised one. You get this. So in this, um, God also tells the Jewish people, the Israelites, he says, you can be removed from this land if you disobey me. There's a way I want you to live. And if you live the right way, there's blessings, there's fruitfulness. I'll pour out these blessings on you. But when you drift away, when you go after other God, I will exile you. I will, put, I will take you away. But then he says, but there will always be a remnant. There will always be a remnant. And he said, no matter how bad it gets, I'm gonna bring you back. But I want you to obey. And as you disobey, you can be exiled from this land. And incidentally, God doesn't even say it's their land. He says, it's my land. And if you're wondering where that is, in Ezekiel chapter 36, he says, it's my land. It's God's land. He's like, you're living on my land as my nation, being my people, so that the world can know that I have a plan. Now we get to Jerusalem. Jerusalem becomes the capital of Israel because David goes and conquers that place. And he says, this is now the capital of Israel. And in this place, Solomon, his son, builds a temple. And when he builds a, this temple, it's this place where God's presence actually comes down on earth and takes up residence right there in Jerusalem, right there on that mountain, right there where the temple was. And if you go to Jerusalem with our, with our team even now, and I was praying about that, Lord willing, that we can get back there again. Right now, we're not sending teams, all right? Just let you know. Um, but we would, if we, if, there, if we can get some stability and some peace in the region, you would go back there and you'd be able to see exactly where the temple was. It's no longer there. But you could see the very place where God's presence was dwelling on planet Earth. 
kind of surreal. I, I had an opportunity to go underneath in one of the tunnels and be in the closest possible spot to it. I was just there. I was just kind of in awe. And as I walked around on the temple area up above and I walked around, it's not there anymore, but on the flat ground, I was just in awe. I was in awe, like God's spirit was right here. And then I went, whoa, God's spirit is right here. And I went, wow, wow. Okay, so the temple was built and it was significant because God's presence started to dwell there. And we see that in 2 Chronicles chapter 7. And for sake of time, I won't read it, but you can, I'll reference it in verses 1 through 3. But the glory of the Lord was there so strong that people were like, wow, God's presence is right here. Now, the Jewish people have been waiting for a Messiah, the promised one, and, and they, they missed it. They missed it with Jesus. Jesus is the Messiah. Jesus is the promised one, and they missed it. And so now they're, they're praying there next to, you see in the Western Wall, some of us call it the Wailing Wall. It's not. It's called the Western Wall. And they're praying as close as they can get to the spot, and they don't realize like the, the presence of God has, has left that spot and now dwells within us. It used to be come to Jerusalem and, and be around the glory and the presence of God. Now, since Jesus Christ lived this perfect sinless life, died on the cross, rose again from the dead, and then he ascended into heaven, he's like, go into all the world. Now the Holy Spirit is going throughout all the world in you and me, and we're on mission. It's incredible. That's what Acts 1, 8 says. It says, you receive power when the Holy Spirit comes on you and you'll be my witnesses in Jerusalem and in Judea and Samaria and to the ends of the earth. And so now instead of going to where like God's presence is there, it's like, he's here, he's here, he's here, he's here, he's here. And he's on the move all over planet earth. So all of this has been happening and Jerusalem has been the capital and the um, his presence was there and the church was launched from there. Uh, Jesus ascended from Jerusalem. You'll go, if you go again, you know, you'll, you'll, right to the Mount of Ascension, like this, like right here, right here. Go into the Garden of Gethsemane and the olive trees are like 2,000 years old. You're like, I wonder if that was a seedling. You know, you're like, unbelievable, all right? So Jerusalem has been the capital of Israel, but I said capital of the universe. So where does that come from? In Revelation 21, it talks about the new Jerusalem. It says this, John saw this revelation. He said, I saw the holy city, the new Jerusalem coming down out of heaven from God, prepared as a bride, beautifully dressed for her husband. And God says, guess what? I, 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 my manifest presence was there. I was there in the holy of holies. I was there in, right on that spot. But guess what? I'm coming back again someday to reestablish Jerusalem as the capital of the universe. I won't go into all this, but every major city of the world has a river except Jerusalem. Think about this. You have to have water as a source. Like all these major cities of the world have rivers. Think about it. And Jerusalem does it. But when God comes back and reestablishes, he said it's going to break open and the water's going to flow to the sea and it's going to flow to the Dead Sea and Israel's going to finally get its river as a major city and life's going to come back into the Dead Sea. It's going to be incredible. But he says the new Jerusalem is coming. And in Revelation 21, verse 16, it talks about how big it is. Now, they use different measurements, but I translated it to our measurements the New Jerusalem will be 1,378 miles wide in all directions and 1,378 miles tall. 
Now to put that in perspective, for those of you that are American, and I apologize to those around the world uh, that are watching this, but that means from Tampa, Florida, to Dallas, Texas, to Des Moines, Iowa, to Washington, DC. That's how big it is. And it's that wide in all directions, and it's that tall. And the New Jerusalem of three gates on each side, each cube will have 18 million acres in it. It'll be big enough to hold, one person said, a quadrillion people. It's big. That's giving each of them a 2,800 square foot home, all right? It's big. And God's like, it's gonna become the capital of the universe. And God's presence is gonna come back and dwell with us again. It's a beautiful thing. Yes. Revelations 21, verse 23 says, the city does not need the sun or the moon to shine on it for the glory of God gives it light and the lamb is its lamp. I mean, there's no pollution. There's no lights needed. The glory of God is gonna fill this place. What's interesting, one theologian said, it'll be this gigantic, huge city and there won't be one church in it. Think about it. There's no need, you won't see one cross around there because you don't need it anymore. We don't need a point, like it's out, like Jesus is right there. And so it's just kind of, I was like, wow, there's no kingdom builders in heaven, all right? We do that here. So this is all going on, you understand? You've got the people of God to be a nation of God, to show the world that God loves them to bring about the Messiah. You've got the, the church going into all the world. You've got the city of Jerusalem. You've got the place where God's manifest presence was. And then we go from there. And then he says, guess what? It's all coming back to there, okay? Now, currently though, there's um, a lot of anti-Semitism going on. A lot of anti-Semitism going on. And, and I wanna answer that. So why is this going on? Because Satan hates God's plan. Satan hates God and his plan. And if he hates God and his plan, he's gonna hate the nation that God said, that's my nation. If he hates it, he's gonna try to bring division in the city that God's like, that's the city, that's the capital. He's gonna fight you and I because he hates that the church goes forward. So there's all that going on, but there's always been something against God's people, the Jewish people, because people thought if you can eliminate them, you can prove that God's not real and the Bible's all wrong, so we get rid of the Jewish people. And there's an anti-Semitism that's there. You see it in Exodus with the Egyptians. You see it with the Edomites, the Canaanites, the Philistines, the Assyrians, the Babylonians, and the Romans. And that's just in the Bible. And then you see it with Hitler. And now we see it today with Hamas. It's hating the people of God and the nation of God coming against him, hating the covenant of the land promise that was there. And sadly, historically, some Christians have been anti-Semitic. You've seen this. Sadly, one of the greatest leaders in the church history, Luther, was very anti-Semitic. Hitler actually used his writings to attack the Jewish people, and I'm grieved by that. And when I was in Israel, I'd tell, like, we love you, we love you, we love you, I love you. You know, I, I remember I said, like, you know, how come you don't think we love you? And they're like, well, you know, Hitler was, per you know, I was like, yeah, that's all right. You know, we love him. We love him. There's no place for it. And, and in Muslim communities that believe that the land is rightly theirs, that it's a stolen promise, that really it's not the covenant with um, Isaac, but it was with Ishmael. There's, there's a anti-Semitic 
furor and hatred. Some nations that will not recognize Israel as a nation. Do you realize there's only one Jewish nation on planet Earth? One, with 0.2% of the population, like 9.5 million people live in Israel and 20% of them are Muslim, all right? And so you've got this small little group and there's, the hatred is there. And there's the three no's that many uh, Muslim nations have and people that are trained in this way. And remember, they get different news, different TV, different radio. They're raised in schools and indoctrinated with this and, and this thing that, that just says, hate the Jewish person. But in these nations, they have three no's. No, re, uh, you know, no recognition, no recognition, no peace, and no negotiations. What do you do with three no's when you're surrounded by nations that say three no's? Israel, like, we're just trying to survive. We're just trying to stay alive. Incidentally, there's never been a nation called Palestine either. The Romans did this as a slight to the Jews using the name Philistine and tried to give a slight to the Jewish people to try to take away their claim from the land. There's never been a country of Palestine. So what... That's all historical, but what about us now? Let me go into one thing and replacement theology. Some people are believing this wrongly that now the church has replaced Israel. Paul says that we are grafted in. There's always been a people of God and then he had the Jewish nation and then they walked away, didn't recognize Jesus, but God's like, I'm grafting you into my plan, and guess what? I still have a plan for Israel. I still have a plan, and if you read Romans 9 through 11, God's like, I, I'm, I'm gonna have something happen. I'm gonna have something happen, and they will know that Jesus is the Messiah. And so we've been grafted in. We don't have to act like the Jewish people mean nothing. No, they were and are God's chosen people, all right? And then they've walked away and they're in judgment right now. They need to get saved just like you and I need to get saved. But God's like, something's gonna happen. As this all comes down and unfolds at the end, they'll see that Jesus is the Messiah. They'll see that. And you know what we're supposed to do? Paul says that we're supposed to provoke them to jealousy. To be so in love with God and live so close to him with the spirit of God in us that it kind of provokes the Jewish people. And I'm sad to say this, I don't think we're doing a very good job. I think we ought to uh, straighten up and say, God, I want to live in a way that's a light that, that, that causes people to see the love of God and the grace of God and the holiness of God and the fullness of God as best we can reflect it on planet Earth so that Gentiles and Jews will be provoked to say, what do you have that I don't have? How do you know God? How do you say that he's living within you? And how can I have what you have? Okay, so... There's no place for anti-Semitism. And there's, we, we are not believing in replacement theology with claims that God is no longer in covenant with his people, the descendants of Israel, the descendants of Israel due to the rejection of Christ and that they've been replaced by Christians. The Gentiles are grafted in. God's protection is still there. And he has some way that he's gonna make it real to them that they know. Now, we must realize what anti-Semitism looks like in our world. It looks like this, when we cannot recognize evil as evil because Jews are the target, that's anti-Semitism. When we're willing to listen to or add to the mistrust regarding Jewish people, that's anti-Semitism. When we dismiss the calls for justice from Jewish communities under mistreatment, 
or when we claim moral equivalency where it does not exist because we downplay the suffering of Jews, that is anti-Semitism. There's no place for it. We cannot do that. We cannot let bias go towards them and a, 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 an anti-Semitic thinking enter our lives. Now, it's so complex. People have said this, and I must move on. Is it the end? Is it the end? I got more texts in the last couple of weeks. Is this it? <laughs> Trumpet lessons, anyone? <laughs> like, people are like, where are we going? You know? All right, here's the deal. I don't know. I don't know. Could be birth pains. I just remember the first time, like, Becca had a little birth pain. We're like, rush to the hospital. And they're like, no, no, it's not it. You know, Braxton Hicks. You know, like, oh, I didn't even know what that was. I just didn't want to deliver a baby. So the first moment she had a birth pain, I was like, we're going. You know, get there. It's a birth pain. I don't know. I don't know. But here's what it reminds me. Two things. Number one, we are not in control. We're not in control. God's got a plan, and we are not in control. All right? So we're going to watch how everything folds out, and we're, we're going to trust God's in control. We're not. Number two, we're supposed to go into all the world. We're supposed to go into all the world. And somebody said the other day, like, do you, do you think Jesus is coming back? And I said, I, I, I don't know. I, I don't know, but I'm working as fast as I can. I, I, I want to do as much as we can before the time runs out. And I came up with this illustration. If you ever played soccer, and whenever there's a stoppage in play, there's like extra minutes at the game, at the end of the game. But you don't know, because only the referee knows, like the timekeeper knows how many extra minutes there are. And so you're frantically running around trying to tie the score because you don't know when he goes, you know. So you're just like constantly you're working and looking and working and looking and kicking and you're going. And I said, that's how the church needs to be right now. I don't know. I don't know, but I want to keep making the most of every day and trying to reach as many people as we can and do all we can for the glory of God. All right. I know this, it's our job to go into all the world, and that's what we're gonna do. We're gonna go as fast as we can, and we're gonna keep working while it's still day, and we're gonna do that, all right? And then lastly, um, this is how we should pray, and I want all of our campuses to pray. And I got this list again. I'm indebted to Alan Tennyson and um, Jeremy Stein, and if you don't know, Alan Tennyson is Martha's son. You know, he's a brilliant theologian. Um, we came up with this list on how to pray. Number one, we ought to pray for protection for those people in danger. Okay, we need to pray for those. And that would be those that right now are the Jewish hostages and also the innocent human shields that will be used in this battle. We wanna pray for that. We wanna pray for protection over innocent people in this and those that are in danger. Number two, we want to pray for comfort for those who mourn because we always mourn with people that mourn. And I cannot imagine waking up and seeing the chaos that ensues in Israel. And I can't imagine waking up and seeing the bomb in Gaza. And I can't imagine the, the things of war. I've, I've never been close to it and I really don't want to get close to it. But we want to pray for comfort from those who mourn. And that's what we're going to do. And we're going to mourn with them. We want to pray for justice for those who have been wronged. And let me be clear, justice is different than vengeance. The world wants vengeance. And all vengeance does is perpetuate the cycle over and over again to generation after generation. And God says, I'm a just God. I'll bring justice. And that's what we want. We want something that is just 
and right to be done, not vengeance, which will only perpetuate the cycle over and over again. We're called to pray for the peace of Jerusalem in Psalm 122, verse six, which means the shalom or the wholeness of that city, that it's just, that it's safe, that it's blessed. And then lastly, number five, we wanna pray for grace for the entire region. Because this is just an example of why everybody needs Jesus. Like there's hatred in the hearts of people. And I'll never forget, I had a, a, a chance to talk to this, this old wrestler, the, the sheik. How many remember the sheik, the, the wrestler guy? He did, he did a rotary thing for us in Apple Valley. And afterwards I went up to him and I said, you're talking about an eye for an eye and vengeance and this. And I said, what will stop the madness in the Middle East? And he said, I don't know, I don't know. And I said, I think I know what'll stop the madness in the Middle East. He said, what's that? I said, if Jesus said to turn the other cheek, Jesus said to forgive, Jesus said to pray for those that despitefully use you. Like there's something about when God gets a hold of a heart that you don't act, want vengeance anymore, you want justice. And then it, it comes to an end because you live differently because of the peace of God. And I remember he just looked at me like, I never thought of that. And as he walked away, I didn't like lead him to faith in Jesus or anything, but I got him thinking like, wow. And I left there thinking without Jesus, the whole region is doomed. Without Jesus, the whole world is doomed. We're doomed. But thank God for his grace that's still being given out all around the world. And by the way, you say, well, I don't, you know, what hope is there? Do you realize like the first terrorist the church ever faced got radically saved when he didn't even want to get saved. Think about that. He wasn't like, well, I'm kind of leaning in. I'm a seeker. I'm going to go check out the church. I don't have to believe before I belong. He didn't do none of that. He's like, I'm killing them. And God's like, boom, knocks them down. Listen up. <laughs> I'm just praying God do a little listen up right now. Okay, one more thing, one more thing. When I was in Jerusalem and I went to the Western Wall and you write your prayer request down, you know what I wrote? This is what I wrote. I wrote, God, please raise up an evangelist for the Jews and the Muslims. That's what I wrote. I wrote, as we go into all the world, could you raise up another Paul? Could you raise up another one that like was gonna kill everybody and all of a sudden wants to lead everybody to faith in Jesus Christ? We're gonna pray. We're gonna pray. So let's do this right now. Let's join here to all the campuses and let's pray right now in Jesus' name. Lord, we pray for protection for hostages. We pray that, that they would be protected. I don't even, strategically, my mind just goes in a million different ways, but I go to the power of God for protection on the hostages. Gotta go to the power of God for innocent human shields. Like work a miracle, do something, keep the casualties as low as possible. God, it's broken, but we pray for protection. And God, we pray for comfort for those that mourn. I feel like there's gonna be weeping and wailing, continuing and growing throughout that region. We pray for comfort for those that mourn and we, we, we understand as best we can their grief and we mourn with them and we pray for you to comfort them in their grief. God, we pray for justice. We pray for justice because vengeance will only get more hatred and more hatred and more hatred. So we pray for justice and God, we pray for peace. Peace of Jerusalem, shalom. Shalom that there could be a peace that would rest there. And God, we pray for grace. We pray for grace 
for your grace to go into all this world. We pray for uh, your church to live up to what we've been called to do, to provoke people into jealousy, to want to know you as Lord and Savior. But God, give grace. Help us to see maybe new evangelists that would raise up in the Muslim world and in the Jewish world and in, in this world at large, the Gentile world. We need more people that will have an anointing and an authority that will say, I once was one of the worst I used to be so evil. Maybe there could be people say, I used to blow things up. But now I want to tell you about the one that can put your life back together. Thank you, God. Thank you, God. And God, lastly, it wasn't one of the five, but I just, more time, more time, more time. Please, God, let us win another one. Let us win another one. Let us send another missionary. Let us go to another nation. Let us proclaim the name again and again and again. More time, more time, more time. We trust you. But if we can move your heart for more time, more time, more time, God, help us to continue to reach this world for your glory and for your honor. God, come against the thoughts in our heart and say it's impossible. It's just the way it is. God, you are, you got a bigger plan. You got a bigger plan and we just want to watch it unfold. You're in charge, you're in control. We submit to your will. And God, we say, God, use us as you want to use us for your glory and for your honor. In Jesus' name we pray, amen and amen.